Actually, this is about the timeline I was envisioning, so do I have my mic on? Yes. Okay, good. It is really weird to give basically the same message back to back, so we're going to see how this goes. Uh, so I had a friend who went on a cruise recently, and on that cruise, like, they're going by this island he didn't recognize, and he saw this guy, like a full beard, and, and he was wearing kind of ratty clothes, and he's jumping up and down and waving his arms. And so my friend runs up to the, the captain, and he's like, hey, what's going on over there? And the captain says, you know what? I don't know, but that guy gets so excited every year when we pass him. <laughs> Thanks. So we are continuing the Amazing Acts series. And I love this series so much because it is about not just the book of Acts, but it is about the Acts of the, of the Apostles, the Acts of the Church. And we are a part of that because we are the church. We are the disciples. We are the servants of Jesus today. And so we get to be involved in this. We get to, to do this. And as you read through Acts, we've talked about huge names like Paul and Peter and James and John. And it's easy to look at them as biblical heroes and kind of separate them from us. Because it's like, man, Paul, he wrote so much and he talked so much. And he did so many things. But you see, they were just people who gave their all to Christ. And so, yeah, we may not be in the Bible, but if we give our all to Christ... We get to do things like that. Maybe not go around on missionary journeys starting churches, but we get to be the church. We get to be the disciples. And it's so cool and so amazing and so powerful. And so I want to look at a story that could have gone poorly but went better than that. And so we're going to Acts chapter 15, verses 35 through 41. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So Paul and Barnabas had done a lot together. They had gone on journeys. They had uh, done ministry. They'd started churches. They'd encouraged others. They'd done everything that you can do. And so they were close. They both followed Jesus fully, and they both wanted to be more like him, and they both wanted to do everything they could to bring him to a world that needed to see him. And what's cool about Paul especially, he wasn't just about building churches, although obviously, especially then, that was huge. He was also about maintaining and encouraging them. He had a pastor's heart. And so, in fact, the motivation for the second missionary journey, one of the motivations, was to go back through some of the churches that he'd started to help them know that they're doing the right thing, to know that they're not alone, to know that God is with them, to know that they have a bigger purpose. Now, John Mark, in Paul's eyes, he had quit on them. 
And in fact, there were rumblings that, that he had betrayed them and kind of tattled on them, that he'd spilled some tea, so to speak. I'm too old to say that, but still. And so Paul didn't trust him to go with them. And so he was not happy. And Paul was pretty good at not being happy sometimes. And so he disagreed strongly with Barnabas. They both disagreed about what to do. Barnabas thought, hey, let's just go. It doesn't matter what happened. Let's go forward. And, and together, we can help him. Barnabas had the view of like a, a football coach who was like, I don't care if this player has been suspended every year for every team. We can handle it. And Paul was more like, no, no. We are here for a different reason. Let's not bring him in. Now, Paul wasn't saying hate him. He wasn't saying get rid of him altogether, but he just didn't trust him at this moment. Now, here is what's most important. Luke doesn't tell us who is right. Luke doesn't tell us how they disagreed. He doesn't tell us what the disagreement was fully over. He doesn't even tell us what John Mark, John Mark did. And that's important because all of the people involved still went on to serve God. Paul and Silas went on to serve and build churches and encourage. Barnabas and John Mark went on to serve and build churches and encourage. And they didn't let that disagreement stop them. It didn't mean that they were happy with each other. And it says that it got a little personal and they split. But neither of them said, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Neither of them said, oh yeah, if you're not going to agree with me all the time, then I quit. Instead, they said, okay. We're not coming to an agreement here, but we all are here for the same reason, to serve Jesus, to show Him to a world that needs to see Him. So let's go do that separately. And what could have been devastating in the early days of the church became a victory because of God. Because He is bigger than any disagreement, any argument. And so He had so much happening from that point. And the odds are that if we knew everything, that both were a little right and both were a little wrong. Because that's usually how disagreements work. Unless you're married. Then there's always one definitive winner, and I'll just leave that to you guys to figure out who it is. I know in my house it was my great-grandma. Eventually, and if you haven't read all of Paul's letters, uh, do that by next week. Actually, do that by tonight, and we'll talk about it. But if you read through all of his letters, he eventually mentions Barnabas and John Mark in a positive way. He doesn't say, I'm so happy with them. He doesn't say, I love them, although he did. He doesn't say, oh, they're my favorite people, but he says, they're serving Christ. And so it's clear that they continued to serve together, that Paul respected them. It's clear that, that things got better from there. But we're not really sure about a lot of the details of everything. We're not really sure what happened along the way of when they talked again, how they got back together, or whatever. Here's what we are sure of. Christianity's hard. Being a Christian is hard sometimes. It's hard to always try to be like Jesus. It's hard to, to, to not be like the world. It's hard to love everybody. And so we disagree, and we argue, and we debate. And those things on their own are not bad. 
Because it's okay to disagree, and it's okay to argue, and it's okay to debate, but it has to be motivated right, and it has to be in the right ways, and it has to be in the service of him. See, there are three words, if you study theology, that, that come up a lot. And they're dogma, doctrine, and personal conviction. And so basically, dogma, that's the core beliefs of Christianity. That's the same, and that should be the same in any church you go to in anywhere in the world. It's God created the world. Jesus died for our sins. Salvation is only through him, etc. The core beliefs. Doctrine is different in each church, usually. It, it's different in denominations. Sometimes it's different in churches and denominations. It, it, it can be, it's based on the Bible, but, but it's based on whatever that reading of the Bible is. Now, personal conviction is because Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus. And so there are things that, that people may be convicted of or, or not feel right about that others may not. And so maybe you're like, oh, I can only listen to Christian music. I'm convicted of this. Or I won't watch TV at all. I'm convicted of this or whatever it is. But that's something that's personal. Now, you can't say, you know what, I'm not very convicted about murder. There are some things that are still core. The problem is, sometimes we argue over what falls where in that list. And sometimes we feel like personal convictions are dogma or vice versa. And we feel like doctrine is everywhere. And we feel all of these things. And so it gets easy to debate and easy to argue. In my home church a long time ago... There were people that left over the color of the carpet. Now, you may scoff at that, but to them, for whatever reason, it was vital, and I don't get it, especially since the carpet went from blue to red, and red is a much holier color because of IU, and blue is like Kentucky, and you kind of want to stay away from that. But to them, the color of the carpet had become dogma. And so they left. They disagreed. You see, Paul and Barnabas disagreed, but they understood, hey, we're just seeing things differently, but we both have to go and serve. We both have to go and love. We both have to go and be like Jesus. Because it's okay to disagree. It's okay to argue. It's okay to debate if we do it right. And in this case, God used the division to reach even more people. Because again, it was motivated for the right things and they continued to love and hope and grow. Doesn't mean that everything about it was good. There were hurt feelings. But I have a quote. There is a giant untapped potential in disagreement, especially if the disagreement is between two or more thoughtful people. You see, sometimes we look at disagreement as failure. And it's like, man, I just want to come to agreement with this person or, or this group or whatever, and I just can't do it. We're just never going to, to see this in the same way. It's not failure. Not if you do it right. If you're both thoughtful, if you're both hoping to serve Jesus, if you're both hoping to be more like him, then that disagreement can just be something that is a disagreement, but you both move forward. Doing what God has called you to do. In fact, I'm going to say this. If there is anyone in this world that you agree with 100% of the time and their name's not Jesus, that's a problem. I just saw a bunch of husbands look over at wives. It's okay. 
But seriously, think about that. Think about the people that you respect the most. Obviously, everybody just thought of me. That's okay. Think about the people you respect the most. I guarantee that you don't agree with them all the way down the line. It's only Jesus that we're supposed to agree with all the time. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And so it's normal to have disagreements. In fact, if you look through history, great things start from disagreements. The founding fathers had a lot of disagreements in those early days of beginning the revolution, beginning the country. The early church had a lot of disagreements. The disciples disagreed over who should fill Judas' spot. Some of them didn't even think they should fill it. There were disagreements all down the line, but it was all done because they cared so much about Jesus. And so none of the disagreements were like, well, I'm leaving. They were all like, okay, let's see what we can do from here. We live in a world that is very compartmentalized. You can have Facebook, Twitter. This looks kind of like a TikTok crowd, so I assume that. Except for the ones that have no idea what TikTok means. But you can follow the people that only agree with you down the line. And you can watch the news that only agrees with you down the line. And you can be friends with only the people that agree with you down the line. And what that does is it builds a bubble around you to where you think that's the entire world. And that's our world today. And so when you run into someone outside of that bubble, it's like, what? This person's clearly wrong. But they're living in the same bubble. It's okay to disagree and be different. But it's in the motivation. It's in who you are and why you're doing it. And if everyone involved is trying to find the right thing, if everyone involved is trying to do the right thing, and we're serving Jesus, then it's okay. The problem comes when the motivation is elsewhere. And so I have another scripture. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anybody who is not against you is for you. So the disciples were human. And so they were concerned with human things. They wanted to advance. They wanted to have promotions. They wanted to have raises. They wanted to have that corner office next to Jesus in heaven that you can get an extra lunch a little bit. They saw it like that, like the world sees it. And at the time, and throughout history... Peter, James, and John were continued kind of the the triumvirate at the head of the disciples under Jesus. And so even those three were like, well, you know, I'm really the leader. Jesus said I was the rock of the church. Oh, but he said I was going to live until he comes back again. Oh, well, my name's James. That was their argument. 
And so they thought from a human point of view. They thought about the things that, that in the world we think about. And it's amazing that they went to Jesus like this because basically everything he had said before this had been against that. He's like, don't be like the world. Look at the Beatitudes, you know. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are, are the least of you. Blessed are the humble. All of these things Jesus said over and over and over again. But the disciples didn't get it. Because again, they were human. And, and they had human issues like we all do. What is most amazing, and I'm struck by this sometimes. Looking at Jesus' life and interactions with the disciples and the people who followed him, looking throughout history at interactions with Jesus and Christians, with us, it is amazing. It is the greatest proof of his love that he's never given up on us. Because, man, we mess up a lot. We all do. And we get it wrong. Sometimes we get it loud wrong. And the disciples who were with him every single day and walked with him and got such amazing personal teaching, they got it wrong sometimes. But Jesus still looked at them with love, and he still had to listen. And, and so he could have stopped all of this by just saying, who's the greatest? And pointed at himself. Because he is. He is perfect. He'd never sinned, never hurt anybody. But instead, he looks at a child and he brings the child over and says, Do you see this kid? Be like this kid. So I have a niece. Uh, I've probably never mentioned her, but her name's Beatrice. She's four, so she's a child. So that qualifies. That means I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. Uh, we, every week, go to either one of the malls or the museum so she can play and, and learn and do all these things. And I will always, each time, sit there and watch as she just runs off and plays with whatever kid is there. She doesn't think about where they came from, doesn't think about what they look like, doesn't think about which of them is more popular doesn't care what, how they dress. All she cares about is let's go play together. She has this pure faith, this hopeful, childlike innocence. And Jesus said, hey, be like that. Don't let the world make you cynical. Don't let the world make you like the world. Be like the children. Stop worrying about what other people look like and what they do and how they vote and whatever else. Just be like this child. And if you look at Jesus, his nature is like the child. Humble, caring, open, loving, welcoming everybody. Whether it's Zacchaeus in a tree, Nicodemus the Pharisee, even Judas. Here's a spoiler alert on Judas. He did some bad stuff. But Jesus washed his feet. Jesus showed us every step of the way how to be. And he says, it's the least among you, not the greatest. Because the world does not understand this. And so he repeated the Beatitudes. He repeated this, this axiom of don't compare. Because comparison is always a trap. If you look at somebody and you're like, man, 
they just don't have it together. At least I'm better than that. Then you're looking down on somebody, and also you're probably going to stop trying. If you compare to somebody, and you're like, oh, man, I'm just never going to reach the faith that they have. Again, there's no benefit there. Comparison is never good. But we live in a world where that's the way of the world. That's what everybody is called to do. It's what everybody's supposed to do. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Children don't do that. So be like them. In fact, if somebody wants to practice being like them, you can come up here and run around the podium for me. But my favorite thing in this scripture is that the disciples sat there as Jesus said this. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, good point. Hey, that guy over there is not doing something with us. So they immediately are like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're right. By the way, we just ignored everything you said. And again, Jesus looked at them with love. Instead of saying, I give up. He said, listen, it's not about you. And if somebody is serving me, then they're with us. And so it was so vital that he said that. So powerful that he said that. And he's not saying everybody's right, and he's not saying any of that, but he's saying, look for the good in others. Look for the good. Look for the way to work together. Look for the hope. Look for the peace. Be peacemakers. I have another quote. This is from Steve Jobs. Our time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. You've probably seen this illustration before, but if I were to have a timeline of eternity up here, like let's say this podium is eternity. Now it's impossible to stop infinity and it goes on and I can get into comparing infinity, which scientists do, and that gets wonky. But if you think of this as eternity, and they're like, okay, I'm going to find the oldest of you, and I can look at the crowd and say that's about 30, 30 years old. The oldest of you, and I'm going to put your timeline on eternity, we wouldn't even see it. The oldest people in the world, the people that go to like 120, 130, we wouldn't even see it. Even going back to biblical days where they lived to 950 sometimes, wouldn't even see it on eternity. Our time here is limited, but we sometimes live as if this is all we have. So what do we do with that time, knowing that it's limited? Do we get caught up in politics? Do we get caught up in disagreements? Do we get caught up in holding grudges? Do we get caught up in anger and hatred? Do we get caught up in self-serving attitudes? Or do we think, man... I've only got a little bit of time here. Maybe I should show Jesus to everybody I'm around. Imagine that you ran into somebody and you had five, well, let's say three minutes to list the entire reason to follow Jesus. Three minutes. And I've used this quote before, but it's a little different. Three minutes. You have three minutes to help someone see the way of Jesus. 
Are you going to spend time on disagreements? Are you going to spend time on personal things? Or are you going to say, he died for us. And he loves you more than you can imagine. We all would do that. But in day-to-day life, we get so caught up in this is all there is. But it's not all there is. This does not mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't debate. It doesn't mean don't help. It doesn't mean don't listen. It means do all of that humbly, knowing that there's something more, knowing that our time is limited, so what we do is important. What we do matters, and what we do is to show Jesus. I have a friend who, when he goes to movies, he's always looking for criticisms in it, like he wants to find things that are wrong with it, and so he finds it. Whenever you meet someone, whenever you talk to someone, whenever you're around someone, if you're looking for the negative, you're going to find it because everybody has negative. But Jesus said, don't do that. Look at people with childlike eyes. Look at people with fresh eyes. Look at people with hope. Look at people with love. Look at people as Jesus looked at people. Because when you're looking at someone, when you're talking to someone, you're going to find whatever it is you're looking for. Still, being humble, being like a child, not worrying about promotions and all that stuff, that seems kind of crazy, especially in the world. So I have one more scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 17. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Maybe it is crazy to be like that. Jesus was certainly looked at as crazy. So were the disciples. But it's our job, our calling, our life to point to God. It's not about what the world thinks of us. It's not about what other people think of us. It's not about what we think of other people. It's about showing the purpose of our life is fulfilled only by Christ. To be motivated not by advancement, not by popularity, not by getting our own way, not by being right, not by winning, but by the love of Christ, by the example of Christ, by being more like him every single day. You see, we were created to live for him. We were created to live with him, not for ourselves doesn't mean you can't have your own life. It doesn't mean you can't win. It doesn't mean all that. It means that we do everything with our eyes on heaven, trying to be more like Jesus, understanding that our witness is in what we do, not necessarily what we say. It's in how we treat other people. If I were to ask everybody here to think about everybody who has mattered to you from a faith standpoint throughout the history of your Christian life, you would certainly picture several people. And if I were to say, tell me everything they ever said that mattered to you, nobody here would remember everything. 
So if I asked why, you would talk about how they treated you. You would talk about their example. You would talk about their love. You would talk about the way they lived out their faith. And that's what we are supposed to do. Because we have a limited time here. And we mess it up all the time. And it's so easy to mess up. And sometimes we mess it up. And then we double down. And then we triple down. And then we quadruple down. And I'm not going to keep going because I don't want to get to quintuple. Because after that I'm kind of lost. When we mess up, and you will, we will, we stop and say, okay, I'm sorry. How can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? And we look at Paul and Barnabas and how they both grew from that moment. It's the human view, the human worldview that says, I have to win every interaction. And believe me, I'm competitive. I can tell you every loss I've had in every video game ever, even against the computer. And for days, I will sometimes think, if I'd done this differently, I would have won that game. And that's across the board with everything I've ever done. I can picture shots I missed in sixth grade where I reached the pinnacle of my basketball talent as well as the pinnacle of my height, and those things were related. But when it comes to people, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to showing our faith, it's not about winning. It is about showing who we are and what we do with our life and why we do it with our life. You see, when we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day stuff, when we get so caught up in arguing and winning debates and all of that stuff, that's when we're looking at things from a this-is-all-we-have perspective. That's the human worldview. But look at this timeline that doesn't exist. That's not even close to what we have. There's not even a percentage of eternity that we live here. And Paul talks about viewing Jesus in that way from, from a human way and how we kind of start there. Well, Paul, we usually just talk about him from his conversion on, but before that, he was a Pharisee. And so the odds are he was in the crowd jeering Jesus when he talked. He may have been one of the Pharisees that questioned him and tried to trap him. We don't know, but we know he was a Pharisee then. And yet, when he realized he was wrong, he changed. He wasn't perfect, but he became more like Jesus, and he lived like that every day, trying to help other people to see that. And we want others to see that. We want others to see Jesus. We want others to come here. We want others to follow him. But to do that, they have to see us do it. They have to see how we handle each other, how we handle disagreements, how we handle everything in the world, who we are and why we are. That's the only way they will come. And to do that, we have to stop thinking from the human greatest mentality. But instead, think eternally. Think of hope. <clears throat> living here, but living for there. Which brings me to my final quote, which is C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The Christians we think of who did the most in this life 
were the ones who were doing it because they were thinking of the next life. Because they knew what happened here was just preparation for other people to get there. That is the purpose. It doesn't mean ignore what's going on around you. It doesn't mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't have personal stuff. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is to remember our priorities, to remember our calling, to remember our hope, to look at Jesus, not just for what he said, although that is obviously how we live our lives, but how he lived how he treated other people, how he loved other people, how he handled things, how he he just was. To build what we have, to grow what we have, to grow who we are, to help others to see the way. You see, what we do can't get us into heaven, but it may help others see the way there. That's why we're here. That's who we are. That's what the church is. Not to compare, not to fight, not to hate, but to love, to hope, to build, to grow. Disagreements happen. They do. In fact, some of you will argue on your way home from church today, probably. Because some of you want to go to McDonald's and some of you want to go to Arby's. And some of you want to go to Chick-fil-A, but you're living in a fantasy world because they're closed. Disagreements happen. But so does learning and growing. And Paul and Barnabas show us that even in the church, disagreements are not the end. Because they both went on to serve Jesus. If you look at our vision statement, our mission statement, whatever you want to say, it doesn't stop at to know Jesus. That's vital. We have to know Jesus. But it goes on to make Jesus known. And we do that in the way that we live, in the way that we treat other people, in the way that we act, in the way that we don't get caught up in the worldly stuff. But we do our best to show Jesus' example in every situation, even when we've messed up. Because as I said at the top, we look at these biblical heroes But when we look throughout their stories, we also see times that they messed up. And yet, what made them biblical heroes was that they didn't give up. They learned from it. They grew from it. And they became more like Jesus each step of the way. That's what we have to do. That's who we have to be. And we can do that if we just look to him. That's all I got.